Hey, Dan, what do you know about fintech? You know, Nick, not much, really. But you know who knows fintech? John Reynolds. John Reynolds knows fintech. My name is John Reynolds, the host. This week, we've got two fabulous guests, and we are going to compare and contrast US and European VCs investing in fintech, as well as taking a look at the European fintech landscape. So we're joined by Lucas Timberlake, general partner at Fintech Venture Funds, which has a focus on uh, fintech and insurtech with offices in Atlanta and New York, and Ricardo Schaefer, early stage investor and partner at Target Global, which has backed back the likes of Revolut and German uh, insurtech WeTech. So thanks both very much for joining me. Can we just get brief overviews of your career today? Start with you, uh, Ricardo. Uh, yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks for for having me uh, on this on this recording. Great, great to to join. Uh, I'm in venture for now over ten years. Uh, before that, I started in IB uh, uh, in London at, at Merrill Lynch, and kind of then through angel investing made my way into uh, the VC world. Worked at the third fund of Seedcamp uh, back in the days when we. Uh, when we backed companies like UiPath and Revolut and WeFox at, at seed stage, so that was kind of my my my, my institutional instru- introduction to VC, and then since then done a bunch of things, but uh, with Target now since 2019 and co-managing their early stage fund. And based in London. I'm based in I'm German, but uh, based based in London. Uh, and Lucas, same question to you, Lucas. Thank you for having me. FinTech Ventures, as the name implies, were an early stage pre-seed and seed focused fintech fund with a primary focus on banking, capital markets, lending, and insure tech. And we're actually really looking at fintech in North America with some focus on Europe, which we'll get into, but really looking within the US and North America at fintech outside of the coasts. And as for my career, I also started at Merrill Lynch doing project finance and infrastructure investment banking, moved on to private equity, which led me to taking the plunge and starting FinTech Ventures with my partner in 2016. Okay. And you've got offices in Atlanta, New York, is that right? So I'm based in New York, but we are headquartered in Atlanta, and that remains a core focus of ours alongside what I call non-coastal fintech or tech hubs. And so we really have no focus also to, to point out in the Bay Area either, which I think we should get into because even there is a lot different than investing in New York and then definitely different than investing in fintech in Europe as well. Okay. Well, that, that might be a, a separate podcast altogether, but we'll, tr- we'll try and cover it too. So that's fantastic. <laughs> so, um, the, the first thing I wanted to talk about was just comparing and contrasting US and European VCs. So there is a kind of stereotype out there, and maybe I'm horribly misguided, that US VCs are a lot more gung-ho, a lot more willing to take risks, while European investors are a lot more circumspect and are a lot more reserved. Um, start with you, Lucas. Is that is it, is it more nuanced than that, or, or is there a, uh, a lot of truth in that, do you think? I would say within fintech, if you're a domain expert, you have to be somewhat more risk-averse than being a generalist fund. And so in my view, I'm not sure that there's that 
much in terms of differences between European and U.S. VCs. But I definitely, as I mentioned earlier, think there is a difference between even West Coast and East Coast of the United States and East Coast and European VCs tend to be more similar where they're focused, like I said, you know, more on revenue and, and probably loss aversion versus trying to hit um, unicorns and, and home runs. So I'd say it's a little bit different of a strategy, but I've really grouped the East Coast alongside their their European counterparts. So what, what's the what, just run that by me again? So what's the big difference between the West Coast and the East Coast then? In my view, it's it's how people think about portfolio construction, and in the Valley, at least from what I've seen, they're looking for more binary outcomes. Whereas, you know, we're still looking for billion dollar plus companies, but at least from what I've seen from my counterparts in the East Coast, we're we're taking a little bit different of an approach when it comes to to fintech investing. Okay, well, that's interesting. Ricardo, so my initial question, can you, I mean, is uh, my my premise about um, US VCs being a lot more kind of gung-ho and a lot more, um, you know, willing to take a risk, how how much truth? I mean, some of the figures, I looked at some figures from PitchBook, which show that in Europe, less than 20% of all capital raised goes to early stage uh, financing, which would suggest that European investors uh, uh, are a bit more cautious. Do, do you think that's true? Uh, I think it probably merits a bit more differentiated view. Uh, so, kind of each fund has its own kind of strategy and approach, and and uh, it really depends. What I would just generally say is uh, there is a difference between, or we've seen now a difference between the US funds that have a presence in Europe. Uh, and the ones that don't. Uh, in the past, uh, it was often that kind of the larger US funds that didn't have a presence here, they would wait for later stage rounds to then uh, engage. Um, versus now, if you look at you know the, the light speeds and so of this world or Sequoia that all have kind of set up offices here, they often play at seat. Versus kind of in the past, um, you often saw that approach to kind of like trying to wait who the winner is and then back back that winner, uh, often also because those are kind of larger funds and, and therefore or, or multi-stage funds where where they could just wait and, and, and would be happy to deploy, obviously, kind of larger checks at a higher valuation, right? Uh, and then often what you see in Europe is, uh, and again, this is a, a big generalization because there's so many different funds in, uh, um, mm. in states, but they tend to maybe be a little bit smaller in size um, or, or, or a bit more streamlined on, on the stage and then therefore kind of uh, happier to kind of or, or often kind of playing more at that early stage. Um, and I don't know if that is mm. kind of feeds into your question or not, but I, I think it really depends on each uh, GP and fund size and, and, and strategy, right? Okay, well, that's interesting. You touched on those US VCs that have set up uh, European operations like Sequoia and I think maybe General Catalyst is, is another one. And I guess um, it's the idea is that they, they kind of got a, an, an ear closer to the ground. Do you, I mean, following on from that, do you ex- I mean, has that kind of benefited uh, those VCs and do you expect more US VCs uh, to adopt a similar strategy of, of having a, a European presence? So, uh, sorry, Rick. Sorry, Rick. Yeah, no, sure. 
look, I mean, it was interesting because te- I mean, when when I, when I first went to the US ten years ago, and I remember talking to funds in the in you know on Sand Hill Road, and they wouldn't even fly to Los Angeles. Um, so 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 Europe was really really kind of far away, uh, and now you've you know you you touched on a couple of funds. There's there, there's actually uh, more and more that that are kind of uh, setting up an office here, and I, and I think. Uh, of course, if you're on the ground and you can play at seed, uh, you, you're just, um, if you, if you hit the winners, you'll obviously kind of be a, a lot better in deploying uh, a capital, right? Because, uh, you build relationships and, mm. uh, you're on the cap table, right? Vis-a-vis kind of then competing for the later stage, uh, when, when you kind of already know the company is successful. So I think it's, um, I think the strategy that, that, at least it seems like they're pulling more resources into Europe and that, that seems to work. And I probably expect more U.S. funds to come to Europe. I mean, Andreessen is another example that announced an office here, uh, I think, not too long ago. And I expect more, more to come. Okay, Lucas, have you, so have, have, uh, 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 has your fund, have you actually looked at having a, a European presence? And what's your take on U.S. VCs with actually a physical presence uh, in Europe? So, so we have and have companies that are headquartered in London, for instance, and then have U.S. operations. So we have a company, for instance, that does travel insurance that has this type of setup. I, I would say to, you know, the, the other points being made that you, you both have that it requires infrastructure as well. And so for many early stage seed funds it 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 is difficult to do because you have to have boots on the ground especially to do early stage investing it doesn't work even if the world has moved to having zoom calls and meetings you have to be out meeting founders mm-hmm. and going to them as well so i think it makes sense specifically for the multi-stage funds to have presence in europe from seed onwards but for for us, we definitely are interested in the region and have experience there when it comes to Europe. But it's more about you know bandwidth and infrastructure to set that up. Okay, that, that's great. And can you just both of you just talk because people listening to this might might not be experts on the world of VC. Can you just outline what the other principal differences are between, generally speaking, US VCs and, and European VCs? Obviously. They all invest, uh, they invest at multi-stages, but I mean, the US VCs generally in fintech have more of a focus on on early stage. Um, and what about kind of investment paces? Do they tend to take longer in, in Europe? Um, I mean, do they um, invest in, in, in less portfolio companies each year, uh, Ricardo? I don't think you can really make this differentiation. It's, uh, okay. um, I mean, we see at the last kind of, particularly in the last couple of years, uh, US VCs play at all all rounds, as I said, particularly the ones that are kind of based here. Uh, and um, I, I, I can't really see like a big difference. Yes, sure, maybe some uh, US funds are, are faster than some Europeans, but then I can, you know, have enough examples. I mean, we're, we're for example, extremely fast in the way we, we make decisions. Uh, and, you know, I, I think this differentiation was maybe you know five ten years ago you you could see a difference mm. but uh i think it's uh it's kind of faded, faded away to be honest 
Okay, uh, Lucas, yeah. Uh, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I would say that at some of the earlier stages, some people would see valuation differences in terms of European startups coming at an overall discount to U.S. startups for especially the initial fundraising rounds. But you're seeing those multiples compress. And it's also very similar to, like I mentioned, San Francisco had companies at a premium to New York and, and Boston. Now those multiples have kind of come in and there used to be discounts in other non-coastal technology hubs such as Atlanta, but you're also mm -hmm. seeing that move away and, and things becoming on average with the exception of San Francisco Bay Area, which is still considerably higher. You're seeing a lot of that kind of go to the to the wayside. So I'd say that was really the, the only difference that I was seeing maybe three, four years ago, but less so right now in terms of valuation discount, I guess you could say, in Europe for early stage technology versus the US. Okay, Ricardo, did you want to come in that? Yeah, just, just maybe two additional points here, right? So uh, I think if kind of particularly with companies where you have a, um, a particular regulatory aspect to the business model, right, that, that require kind of uh, uh, a more local understanding of, um, you know, how regulation is, is impacting the business, et cetera. Probably, you, you, I, I mean, you see you, uh, European funds being more comfortable uh, with with kind of making investments, um, but I mean th that's just a very particular case, right? So think of insurance or, or uh, kind of uh, if you think of passporting and things like that, right? Um, but the and then of course the other point is, and that's more from a founder perspective, if you are taking money from a US fund that doesn't have a presence in Europe, of course, there's like a different level of interaction, right? Because mm. the beauty of obviously being a European founder and having uh, a European fund is that you can kind of rock up to your investor's office and, and have in-person meetings. But mm. and then, I mean, I don't know, Lucas, how often are you in, in Europe? I mean, it's just a couple hours flight, right? So that's kind of... Maybe uh, slightly, slightly longer than two hours, but I don't know. Lucas? Yeah, I'm, I'm over every three, four months or so but like i said because of the kind of broad expansive of territory have picked different areas to go visit as well in terms of most recently london last year spent some time in copenhagen in sweden and i think that's part of the the interesting nuance of the the european market is even though a lot of it, with the exception of the UK, is, is still within the EU. There's there's a lot of differences between, let's say, Copenhagen and Berlin as, as two areas that I'm seeing a lot of fintech activity. Okay. Well, yeah, that's so that, yeah. Because yeah. you, you can leave forward it. We'll, we'll talk about that, uh, the, the McKinsey report, which I think highlighted the UK and, and Sweden as two European fintech hotspots. So, I mean, just on, on the broad question, though, obviously – US VC investment has kind of skyrocketed in in Europe, uh, you know, over the last 10 years. And um, you obviously got the likes of Tiger Global. And, and do we see this this trend uh, by, by what you were saying, Ricardo, about US VC set, setting up offices in, in Europe? Do, do we expect 
this trend to continue over the next few years then, uh, Ricardo? Um, I, I think so. I mean, obviously what you've seen over the last couple of years is big fintechs emerge out of Europe. Uh, if you look at Wise, if you now look at Revolut, uh, obviously kind of Klarna and, 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 and a bunch of others, right? So uh, that is that is kind of um, definitely created a lot of attention. Um, but also what you then see is the kind of effect of, of those large companies where you see first layer management going out and starting another company and kind of a whole... Yes. Uh, kind of a whole new founder generation that's being taught in those in those kind of successful fintechs. Um, so I think that's that, that's you know a trend to continue. Of course, UK has a particular or, um, kind of always ha- was a kind of a hub for fintech because we're uh, a hub for financial services um, already, right? So you had a lot of talent. I mean, if I think of Nick, the founder of Revolut, he came from Credit Suisse, right? And uh, and so on. So the kind of the amount of financial services and, and, and banks, et cetera, that, that are already present here that build a, a really important layer for kind of to create and nurture uh, fintech founders. So okay. I think in short, it's going to continue in my, in my mind. And what about obviously we've got a difficult economic environment in Europe and there have been some high profile drops in fintech valuations like Checkout.com and Klarna which some would say is kind of a, a correction in the market. But what, I mean, it's, it's, I'll ask uh, you, Lucas, I mean, what? how would USV sees that? Is that kind of these drops in valuation? Is this kind of, is this a, a, something that would deter them or is this a, an opportunity to, to, to kind of invest in, in perhaps bargains? On, on our end, doing early stage fintech, as I mentioned, we haven't seen a material impact at seed stage valuations, but you're definitely seeing similar types of trends in the U.S. at the later stages. I would say what's really keeping the market from moving forward is the fact that the IPO windows are essentially frozen. Mm-hmm. And until we see movement there, I think it's going to keep valuations compressed and at a reset. And in my view, if you look at it versus the last two years, it's obviously been quite a significant decline in terms of average valuations and funding volume. But if you look at it over a much longer time period, let's say since 2013 or pick a year 2016, I'm seeing more of a reversion to some of those mean means as well. So that's kind of how I'm seeing it is really with a longer term lens. Okay. And just before you mentioned, you, you mentioned, I think, visits to Sweden and, and the UK. And as I said, they were highlighted as two fintech hotspots in that McKinsey report. Can you can you talk about, I mean, why, why, why are you particularly excited uh, about those countries? And what, can we talk a bit about subsets of, of fintech? What, what, in your view, which areas are, are hot, particularly now? Is it, is it kind of elements of B2B fintech or... Uh, Lucas. So, so in my view, it, it's really as we've been discussing, a lot of founders leaving the Klarna's and Revoluts and founding new companies. Okay. So, I, I do think consumer fintech is actually probably still stronger in Europe than it is in 
the U.S. and you look at the market penetration of some of the the winners, you, you know, even if they're in smaller areas, they have greater penetration and higher numbers of users. So in my view, I'm thinking about it more from shifts that are occurring more broadly, where you're seeing a lot of crypto firms move to London because of the regulatory environment. Mm -hmm. And even though we don't necessarily focus on crypto specifically, I think that's going to create some interesting ripples, even as the crypto market deals with its own headwinds as well. So that's kind of a high level of, you know, at least what I'd say for what I'm seeing and, and what I'm excited about when it comes to, to Europe. But, you know, to your point, it's, it's quite broad and you go from different countries and they all have kind of their, their different strengths and different marks they've made. Okay, Ricardo? Yeah, what I'd say is, of course, what you, in a way, what you've, what you have, which you didn't have many years ago, is now companies that, that have built the infrastructure uh, for fintechs to kind of build on, on top of, right? So, uh, open banking, banking as a service, uh, etc. So, we'll, I think we're, we're still at the beginning, uh, and and we'll probably see uh, um, a lot more innovation coming through, I think we'll still see in a way kind of uh, the majority of, yes, there's a higher penetration, uh, maybe vis-a-vis -vis the US, but even in Europe, the majority of people still bank with the incumbents, for example, and bank unhappily with the incumbents. So I think, uh, and, 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 kind of, and then there's each subsector from payments, et cetera, where uh, I think there's a lot more room for, for innovation and better customer experiences. So we'll, um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll continue to see great companies emerge uh, out of Europe in, in, in and across fintech. Okay, and, and if there was one particular fintech subsector that, that listeners should look out for, Ricardo, what, what would that be in your view? I mean, a lot of people talked about embedded finance uh, and I mean, we, we still need to see kind of uh, real winners uh, come, coming out of this, this space. So I think that's one where uh, there has been a lot of attention, but not kind of not yielded to, to any any particular outcome um, and uh, um, I still think the way people kind of save money and, and invest is uh, uh, needs a kind of uh, a next generation type platform where uh, clearly the kind of robo advisors and uh, and the the Robin Hoods and so of this world and haven't really kind of um, yeah brought long-lasting yeah. Uh, impact. So, yeah, maybe picking out those two sectors. Okay. And just, I mean, Lucas touched on kind of consumer facing. And what about the, Ricardo, what about the the European neobanks? They seem to have, I guess, arguably kind of plateaued in their growth. And are now, I guess, we're going to see them moving into more and more kind of branching out to different areas. I don't think they've plateaued. I mean, we have, uh, what, 550 million people in Europe. And, uh, um, Revolut, I think, is on kind of. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't have exact numbers, but uh, I think all digital banks combined, uh, I, I would surprise me if they have uh, more than ten percent um, uh, of the of the kind of bankable population as customers. So I, I don't, I don't think it's plateaued. In fact, I would say the opposite. They continue to grow very strongly, and uh, um, there's a lot more room for. Or higher penetration. 
Um, okay, um, we've been, um, we've actually run out of time and I know we've only just got started. Um, I, I really appreciate you've been very eloquent and authoritative. Uh, so thank you very much, Lucas. And uh, thank you very much, uh, Ricardo. And that's all the time we've got for this edition of Tech EU's What Do You Know About Fintech? If you've liked the show or not, go ahead and hit subscribe, like, rate us. We'll see you next time.